Chapter 3. Design the Blueprint. Introducing the Blueprint. As mentioned earlier, the culture blueprint is a system that starts with a simple vague notion of what you want and ends with a system of culture running so well that it can operate on its own. For that reason, you don't have to worry about using the entire blueprint all at once. In fact, you may already be halfway there. Keep in mind that this is a different kind of blueprint. It will actually be designed as you are developing the culture. The blueprint is more of a map that allows you to see where you are in the process and to make sure you're taking everything into account. You may actually reorder the map. It's key to get this concept. You cannot design culture. You can only design the frameworks around the culture and can only co-create it. I cannot stress this enough. If you're working alone, then you're working too hard. Now keep this in mind. The blueprint will overwhelm you. There are a lot of moving parts, but it is also a fractal model. What that means is that you can work on any part of it, and it will actually have an effect on all the others. The most important part is movement. Studying will not shift your culture. It is only conversation and action that will do it. So just know, if you find yourself taking a long time to read through this book, then you're already behind. The point is that the blueprint is designed as you're building the culture. So don't spend too long here, as the blueprint itself will not completely make sense until you're fully into it. As you'll see, it's all about experimentation. The culture blueprint starts with inspiration. Why you must address this now. It all starts with the reason why. Why are you reading this book? What motivated you? Sometimes it's a friend, or an article, or a pressing need for change. Or the sense that something could be better. It could be a number of things. But it always starts with inspiration. You've already hit that step, so why mention it? Because if you plan to enroll others in your mission, they will need inspiration as well. And theirs may look different from yours. In order to understand what any sponsor, manager, boss, or investor cares about, you must listen to them carefully. Only then will you be able to convey your message to them in their language and truly be of service. Become the culture hero. Who, me, you ask? Yes, you. You don't have to be a manager, or a leader, or even someone with any influence at all. It's because you care, and because you're willing. That's really all it takes. This book is here to guide you through the rest. The word hero is used in reference to Joseph Campbell's work on the monomyth, the unifying storyline that runs through every great tale from the Odyssey to Star Wars. It's an effective model because it involves both personal fulfillment and transformation, as well as the mission of helping a larger group or community. It's also an encouraging model because every story makes clear that the hero was initially unqualified. The hero had never done this before, but the journey turned him or her into a person who could. In the team section... We will start with the philosophies, principles, and exercises you can do to prepare yourself for this journey. Next, immerse yourself in culture. Immersion means a direct experience in the world you would like to create. At Zappos Insights, we learned this lesson very early on. We created a two-day boot camp event with the intention of capturing it on video and sharing the content through the website. The event was a smashing hit, and considering all the smiling faces we saw when we asked for feedback, 
we honestly expected people to say that our content blew their minds. Instead, they replied the content was good. But we knew most of it from reading all about Zappos. It was the experience of being here that really changed everything. Now I really believe it's possible. So consider what experiences you've already had and ones you would like to create and immerse yourself and your team in a powerful experience. Create your vision. Vision is much more simple than people realize. You read in the previous chapter all about how to create a powerful, effective vision that gets people into action. A vision is an image of what you want to achieve, not in a lifetime, but within a few years. It is short, memorable, and powerful, and people can see where they fit into it. Examples include create the biggest blank in the world, or develop a culture on the Fortune 100 best places to work. These are overarching company visions, but you can create a smaller vision that can be accomplished much more quickly. For example, create quarterly celebrations of all we have accomplished. Convert our office into an expression of who we are. Develop an onboarding process, how you bring people into the company and train them, so that people take full ownership of the culture. Either way, in order to prove to yourself that you can really do this and also show to others that you are serious, you will have to take the next step. A bold action step. This is the threshold, the test that says, you know what? You can stay where you are and be comfortable, or you can try something new. It's risky. You may not be able to go back, but what's the cost of staying where you are? One boot camp participant realized that the risk was actually an illusion. Quote, after returning from the boot camp immersion at Zappos, I had a vision for what our culture could be like. I told a lot of people above me, but they didn't feel we could do it. I felt like leaving the company. And then I realized, if I'm willing to quit over this, why don't I just give it a shot? So I started making changes without even having permission. End quote. We will go into many simple but bold action steps you can take within the immediate wins section. One of the first actions she took was to put up stats of her department's performance on the walls. Doesn't sound like that big of a risk, right? Except that the CEO had said not to put anything on the walls. I was proud of all we'd done, and I wanted everyone to see our numbers, she said. People at her company loved it. Even the IT department asked if they might replace it with an LCD screen that could show live updates. The CEO didn't even remember having told people not to put things up on the wall. And that small act of rebellion started a revolution. It set her up perfectly for the next step. Find your culture crew and mentor. Her next step was to create the Executive Culture Council. Never mind that she was not an executive. She put up signs for it, limited the number of people, and made them apply. What resulted was an amazing opt-in team of superheroes for her to work with on the next bigger project. The other option, or additional option, is enlisting a mentor. A mentor may come in at any stage, but when you recognize this person, take the opportunity. They may be inside or outside the organization. I once had a mentor who was a homeless person. Long story. Anyway, the point is that you will recognize the mentor as someone who has the information, experience, or the right questions that will arm you for success. Once this stage is complete, we have a foundation to build. The culture, growth, engine. Attract and repulse. Induct and initiate. Serve and deliver. Engage and sustain. 
share and observe. The culture growth engine is the key to developing, scaling, and maintaining a strong culture. The engine itself came out of a frustration shared by me and my clients. People get overwhelmed by culture. They learn about everything and have no idea where to start. This is the path that starts with the highest leverage points in the system and goes from there. Attract and repulse. It all starts with the right people. The idea here is that with a strong culture, you will attract the right people and repulse the wrong people. Even at Zappos, which has been called Disneyland by guests and coworkers alike, there are people who find it's really not for them. They don't like having a weird culture every day, or they find it too social or without enough structure. When you try to make your company attractive to everyone, you'll ultimately fail to get the right people in the door. But if you're clear on who you are and who you are not, then you'll get the right people, and many of the wrong people won't even show up. That's the value of having core values that are very unique to your culture. This process is typically called recruiting. But since that's based on a military model, we're playing with new language. Attraction is what happens when recruiting is going so well that the talent comes to you. To extend the metaphor, it's like flirting. Can you imagine if you met someone and after the first date they asked you to marry them? That is essentially what is happening when companies hire quickly. It's all about being slow to hire because you're looking for a long-term commitment. The attraction stage involves applications, interviews, screening, and involving the entire organization in the hiring process. This section will show you how to select the right people, lose the wrong people, and upgrade those in between. Job descriptions. Start with the wish list. Think about everything you want in a candidate. What would be his or her ideal behavior, skills, demeanor, creativity? Ultimately, let's face it, you probably won't get someone who has everything you want, but at least then you know what you're training for. The job description. Here's a job description I wrote while running an online community for self-development. Rather than focusing entirely on what we needed, I first created a vision for what their day would be like at the company. Here is what a typical day might look like. You wake up feeling totally jazzed and alive. You drive to our office, most likely listening to a great book on CD to keep learning or great music to get you pumped up. You get to the office and jump right on the site to see what's new. You send several welcome emails, comment on the new posts, and answer people's questions, all with a great friendly tone and articulate language. You churn out the messages, and everyone on the site is relieved to have you there singing your praises. Someone proposes a parade in your honor, but they're all talk. After the morning, you look at your notes and talk to the community director about trends on the site, how we can improve the experience and ways we can offer better help. You head to lunch in the break room, joking around with the crew, laughing so hard that your vitamin water comes out of your nose. Lunch is making you a bit sleepy, so you jump on the mini trampoline for several minutes, perhaps listening to Eye of the Tiger on your iPod. After an afternoon of more comments and responses, you switch gears and contribute a story about how you overcame what seemed like an impossible situation, balanced by a lighter blog post about when you choked on a tofu skewer and managed to get a date with the person who gave you the Heimlich maneuver. Midway through writing the story, a crisis comes up. Never one to panic, you stop typing and confidently say, I'm on it, like you're Bruce Willis taking on Russian terrorists in Die Hard. Crisis solved. You shoot off a few emails telling a few friends or colleagues about some posts they might like, and then wrap up and head home. 
This time you drive in silence, thinking about the people who are really putting it out there to change their lives. The ones who've had enough. The ones who want more. The ones who are not afraid to create their own happiness. And all the crazy and wacky ones that every online community has. You laugh to yourself and then think, how might I help them out tomorrow? Are you ready for this? This is an opportunity with a high potential to grow. And to grow big, one must start small. Our starting compensation is $1,400 a month. Yes, that was the budget I was given, and we actually got someone great, and then gave him a raise. Another technique you can use is video. Again, this one may be over the top, but it's just to give you ideas at worldsmostawesomejob.com. Every touchpoint is an opportunity to define your culture, and a job description is often the very first experience a new hire will have with your company. The interview process. Application guidelines. The way you do one thing is the way you do everything. This tends to be a truism about people's behaviors, so the application process is a way to see into how someone operates. So consider a challenge you might choose to pose in your job description. Sometimes it can be asking them to respond with a very specific subject line in their email. That way you can immediately sort out who is good at paying attention to detail and following instructions. At the other extreme, you may go so far as to require a short video to be submitted with the application. If you do, make sure to provide some basic guidelines such as desired length and what you're looking for. Also, let them know what you value. Aside from video production jobs, your judgment of them will not be about the video's production quality. So let them know that as well. High leverage questions. Another way to sort through applications is to use high leverage questions during the attraction process. These are questions that can give you a lot of information about a person without using up much of your time or theirs. One great question comes from the book The Luck Factor by Richard Weissman. This book explains how people who feel they are lucky are generally happier, more appreciative, and easier to get along with. On the other hand, people who do not feel they are lucky tend to feel entitled, that they are on their own, and that they are the only ones to credit for their own successes. So the high leverage question is, how lucky do you feel you are on a scale from 0 to 10? You can also use questions that are related to your core values. So for example, in relation to the Zappos core value, create fun and a little weirdness, Zappos asks in a live interview, how weird are you on a scale from 0 to 10? There is no right answer, although a 0 or 10 certainly gives one pause and begs further questioning. The point is more to see how someone reacts to the question. Ask value-focused interview questions. You can ask questions to ascertain whether or not the candidate displays the corresponding desirable attributes and attitude. For example, if you want to hire someone who values service, you can say, tell me a time when you went out of your way to help a coworker. In other words, take the value, then form a story-based question to determine if they live and enjoy it. More questions like these are available at www.zapposinsights.com. Interviewers can also call an audible by improving questions. For example, if an interviewer thinks the person may be too uptight for the culture, the interviewer can ask, what's your favorite swear word? Followed up with, please use that word in your next answer. Again, there is no right answer. It's more about how the person reacts to the question. Culture over performance. The general rule of thumb here is that culture trumps performance. People can make their record of performance look better than it is. 
but if you design a core values-based culture interview, it's hard for them to fake it. Also, you can often train for the skills you need, but you can't train someone on values. They either value something or they don't. That's why the value of growth and learning is so effective. People who value learning enjoy learning new skills and thus learn quickly. People then grow into roles they were previously never qualified to take on. Always look to see the full person. Another powerful question is, if you could get paid to do anything, what would it be? When Phil So answered this question, he said he would love to produce music. The interviewer said, maybe you'll do that one day at Zappos. But Phil was incredulous. He was applying for a graphic designer position. One day he worked with the audio video team to create a music video using his music. It was shown to the whole company, and everyone loved it. You can watch the whole video if you Google for Zappos Family Music Video. As the company needed more audio for commercials and internal videos, he was offered a music producer role and even created an album of songs for musicians within the company. The idea is for people to bring their whole selves to work because you never know when their interests and talents may be helpful. Also, when people are discouraged from bringing their interests and personalities to work, they tend to spend too much energy trying to fit. Saying no to candidates. Saying no can actually be a great experience. Whenever I've reached out to let a candidate know that we would not be interviewing them based on their application, I've always been surprised to receive emails back that say, thank you so much for getting back to me. I've sent out so many resumes, and it's nice to hear that you reviewed it and took the time to let me know. People appreciate being treated like people, and if you can make sure to thank them for applying and wish them good luck when you tell them no, it will only help your brand. Saying yes. Make it unique, fun, and rewarding. Of course, they will be glad to hear a yes, regardless of how you say it. But how can you make this a memorable experience and a bookmark in their lives? Consider shooting a quick video with your team feeling excited. Or consider what kind of items you might put together in a care package that you send them. Induct and initiate. The second stage in the culture development engine. Once you've selected the right people, it's time to bring them into the organization in such a way that they understand the culture and their role in it and achieve that ultimate objective. They feel like they are part of the story and have a sense of pride and ownership. No one knows this better than the military, who completely break down people's identities in the first few weeks and build them back up. Marching around may seem completely archaic, but it's a brilliant and very inexpensive tool to literally get people in sync with their bodies, their words, and their thoughts. Nothing suggested here will even come close to such extremes. I only mention it to highlight the power of a good initiation. Even if you've got the right people, initiating them into the company is a totally separate process. It should ensure that they not only know how to do their jobs, but also know how to get what they need to support the entire organization. You know it's going well when new people feel that they've taken ownership. You know you've knocked it out of the park when they say they feel like they've come home. Whether you have a day or a month to get someone in the door, there are systematic steps to follow so that you won't leave this important stage to chance. Induct into the organization. Inducting someone into your culture is a very big deal. You are letting them into your home and into your family and trusting them with all you have. But it's amazing to see how lightly most organizations take this. 
People's first day at work is usually limited to being given a desk and then shown where the bathroom and supply closets are. What a missed opportunity. As the saying goes, you never have a second chance to make a first impression. At Zappos, they started with a day-long orientation, and now it's a four-week adventure. Everyone goes through the customer service training, from the CEO on down. Before we get into the detailed breakdown, let's discuss some of the general benefits of crafting an extensive group orientation that will be a truly memorable experience. Onboarding with a group means that all new hires have a whole new set of best friends. This is important because the social pressures of being part of a new organization can sometimes be more stressful than the job itself. Presenting the history of the organization creates a sense of pride and appreciation for those who created this opportunity. Creating a challenging and rigorous onboarding process without guaranteed final admittance makes for a powerful experience where people must be dedicated to the mission, work together, and hold themselves accountable to each other. These are some of the most important skills and the ones you cannot teach simply through information. Now, let's go over the structure of the training program itself. In each case, we will show how each step relates to the game design process. Introductions, or character development. Have the trainers introduce themselves by sharing their stories about how they came to the company and how their lives changed as a result. This will inspire the new hires to share their own stories. Have them get to know each other by playing a game where they get a new nickname. New identity is part of a new group. Zappos developed a process to build accountability. New hires are informed that they must arrive by 7 a.m. every day, or they would be cut from the program. Rules for how your avatar or game identity can be killed, essentially. It's important to note that the program itself is co-created in real time. While instructors state the expectations of the company, new hires are asked for their expectations of what the company will provide them. Throughout the learning and exercises, new hires are asked for their opinions and how they define the core values. History, or the epic story. Each new hire then learns about the history of the company. At Zappos, one can't help but feel a sense of pride after becoming a part of this world-changing company, and also because they know that only 2% of applicants are accepted. Core values, or the storyline and rules. Each core value is explained by someone from within the company, not a trainer. They talk about how the core value itself changed their life. Usually, as I've mentioned, values seem like staid words on a wall. But when you hear actual stories about them, they suddenly become real and actionable. In my own initiation, I was moved by talks in which the speaker was in tears, explaining what a difference the values made. Training, or power development. Consider what the core skill is that everyone must have. For example, at Zappos, everyone must learn how to be a frontline customer service worker. It is key at this stage to make clear that any and all questions are welcome, even if they have been asked before. The idea is to create the safest possible environment for learning. Live-action learning or real-time decision-making. Don't keep your new hires in the classroom for long. Get them into action to learn by doing. I remember the first time I took customer service calls at Zappos. I felt so much pride it was like we were all working together on the first NASA rocket launch. Even though everyone was nervous, we all had support. As you take your new hires into a live environment, think about ways that they can get coaching and mentoring at a moment's notice. How can they signal to you that they need help? 
When we needed support on our calls, we waved a small flag. Offer to turn back, the opt-in. During the training process, some people will realize that the job or the environment is not really for them. But the problem is that many stick with the job because they feel they have to. They need the paycheck to make the rent. Therefore, it's not truly opt-in unless they feel they have total choice over the matter. That is why it's a good idea to offer them money to quit. What's interesting is what this offer does for those who do not take it. Each person has to seriously consider if the job is worth it. By not taking the money, they're essentially investing it into their own career at the company. For those that do take the money, you've just paid a very small insurance fee for what could have been a disaster. Challenges or quests. Issue challenges throughout the training. Test them on their knowledge. Give them projects they can only accomplish by working together. And add consequences. At Zappos, if you do not get 90% or higher on the final test, then you are let go. But that test is preceded by a round of practice tests or smaller quests. The Oath. Once they are finally accepted, consider how each new hire will seriously uphold the core values. The values serve as the law, and it's up to each employee to maintain them. One way to do this is to have them swear an oath. Even though you can do it in a fun and playful manner, swearing an oath internalizes a true feeling of the importance and seriousness the values deserve. Celebrate. Don't forget to celebrate their accomplishment. They have just graduated. Have people throughout the company come to cheer them and end it with some kind of food and drink to mark this moment in their lives. So this is the full process of induction, described as a game. Here's a simple breakdown with Zappos as the example. In its most basic format, the Zappos onboarding process is a game. Goal. Get into Zappos. Even though you've been hired, it's not guaranteed. Rules. Arrive at 7 a.m. every day for four weeks. 90% above required on the final test to pass. Feedback. Coaching and practice quizzes. Opt-in. A month's salary offer to quit. Remember, you can always start simple just by trying a few of these out. Team initiation. We covered the process of onboarding someone into the company. What about inducting a new hire to your team? It is very possible that certain people will immediately take to a team's subculture, but others could have a hard time. Instead of having a new hire struggle by constantly having to figure things out by trial and error, why not set people up for success? Here are a few introductory activities that will make the transition easier. One, introduction letter. Creating a welcome letter providing tips and tricks can start your newbie off right. At Zappos Insights, we thought it was important to introduce our unique, boisterous group of passionate people and provide our new team member with some context for our group. Below is the letter we would send a few days before they join the team. Versions of the letter would continue to evolve over time, but here's a start to give you an idea. Welcome to Zappos Insights. You're about to enter one of the most exciting, unique experiences you may ever have. Zappos Insights hosts people who are interested in learning all of Zappos' best practices and what has launched us into the number six best place to work. Sometimes our guests are excited, others are reserved, and some are skeptical as to how Zappos capitalizes on fun and happiness in the working world. Zappos Insights is a fast-paced environment. Anything and everything can happen. You will be expected to jump, ready to do whatever needs to be done to make things happen. This sometimes includes long hours, unconventional or unexpected tours, or unloading 3,000 copies of Delivering Happiness off of a truck in under an hour. 
We have many happy hours, social events, and crazy get-togethers. With that, we have many people who want to test our service. Sometimes you can feel backed into a corner or taken advantage of. The key thing to remember is that our job is to outwow expectations. That's why we are here, and that's why thousands of people are visiting to learn. My advice to you, music appreciation is your friend. You will need to tolerate a wide range of musical tastes, often simultaneously. Learn to dodge. Finger rockets are everywhere. Seriously. Learn all you can. Ask questions. Volunteer for everything. Seeing how things work is the best way to gain perspective. Take a deep, cleansing breath. Being able to separate yourself from the chaos will be key. If you let it build up, you will freak out. Most importantly, this team wants you to succeed. We chose you for your skills, talents, and wonderful ability to convey the Zappos family to our guests from around the world. Please ask us for help, encouragement, and support. That's what we are here for. Welcome aboard. Two, team shadowing. Having a new person sit with other people on the team as they do their jobs is a great way for the newbie to learn about how the entire team operates, as well as each individual's job responsibilities. This is not a time to chit-chat. It's a time for them to really observe, ask questions, and maybe even try a few new tasks on their own. Even though this may have nothing to do with their own job, it builds understanding and could provide a good framework for understanding how their job relates to the big picture. 3. Big Brother, Big Sister Establishing a mentoring relationship within the group is a great way to foster open communication. Ideally, the mentor will go out to lunch with the newbie a few times during their first month. The mentor can also see how the new hire is interacting with the team and give feedback that other team members might not feel comfortable giving. New Manager Introduction When a new manager is introduced to a team, or a new hire or team member is introduced to their new manager, there are a lot of unknown variables. If they are not addressed explicitly, there is a chance that there will be many bumps and hiccups as people get to know each other, especially if they are or were friends and now have a new dynamic to their relationship. At the team level, it's best for the new manager to announce that he or she will spend most of their time listening and learning about the team and their processes for a while before making big changes. When appropriate, the first changes usually should involve clearing out a roadblock that frustrates the team as a whole. This conveys that the new manager is attentively listening and builds faith with the rest of the team. As for the one-on-one relationships, the following is a template for a manager to use for that first private discussion. Notice the meta structure where the team member speaks first by answering the question. As a manager, you are in an authority position. So anything you say will influence their answer. Thus, it's best to hear them out first, although you have the final say. What makes for a great boss? How do you like to be managed? How I like to manage is... What are your expectations of me? Here are my expectations of you. What would make you feel comfortable and safe here? What are your goals? How would you like to grow? Here is the growth plan I see for you. Here are the decisions I trust you to make. Here are the decisions I would like you to run by me. How will I know you're doing well? Such as enjoying, learning, performing. Here's the information I will need from you, including data, stats, updates, etc. Here is a guideline about how I'd like you to communicate with me. What medium? How often? What level of detail? If you disagree with me, 
Here is how I would like you to handle it. For example, privately. Once this is complete, write up a summary of the meeting and have them look it over so that you are very clear on your agreement. Remember, clear goals and rules are needed for a good game. Have each party sign it. Ideally, all will be smooth sailing on the level of their commitment because you've taken the time to do this. And having both signed it as if it were a legal document which conveys gravity. In a worst case, you have tangible proof that someone committed to a set of behaviors and did not perform, and thus you have grounds for termination. The next stage in the culture development engine, serve and deliver. Now that people have been properly brought into your culture, it's time to get to work. The word execution is what comes to mind for most people, but it's still part of that older military analogy. To execute means to kill. With customers and clients, it's about serving needs and delivering on promises. It's time to focus on the delivery of value to everyone. That means to the customer and client, to coworkers, to bosses, to vendors, to partners. If you're in startup mode, then it's all about the customer because you are rushing to get the business model sustainable before you run out of cash. But once you have reliable, regular monthly income coming in, then it's time to recognize all stakeholders with whom you have agreements. Articulating these value propositions will make it much easier. Here we'll talk about how to create the service mindset, build up skills, and hold people accountable. World-class service. Serving and delivering is all about how you do what you do. The products change and services change, even business models change. But how you treat customers should not. And if done correctly, it could be what makes the most impact. Think about any business venture. There's always someone being served. Without service, there is no customer. Without a customer, there is no revenue. So if you're not in the service game, you're in a losing game. The same dynamic exists within your company. Each department is serving another. Employees serve managers, and managers serve employees. You can imagine a staff chart with many arrows that go back and forth, showing the ways each person is serving another. But sometimes we can lose sight of this. Sometimes we get so caught up in the day-to-day of work and delivery that we forget that it's real people whom we serve. It's empowering to tell people that at any time they can raise a flag and ask this question, in service to what? This question usually clarifies what an argument is really about. When you ask this question in any context, it forces people to consider what value is being expressed. And when it becomes a conversation about values, that's when people can get past the personal and find their alignment. Asking how you can be of service is a powerful question. But remember that how you serve actually comes first. Leaders can do more to influence their culture just by the way they walk into the room than by a strategic decision. And if you're going to walk into a room with total confidence, you need to understand the next principle. Zappos defines providing wow customer service as creating unique experiences to meet or exceed a customer's expectations. Under promise and over deliver. By creating unique shopping experiences, their hope is that customers will evangelize for Zappos and tell their friends and family to do business with them. Word of mouth has been one of the driving factors of a 75% repeat customer rate year over year. The company strives to spread happiness by providing the best customer service and experience possible. Unfortunately, in many companies, the customer service department is viewed as a pure cost 
and representatives are given incentives to sell, sell, sell as a way to try to reduce that cost. In shifting the focus away from the cost and towards the investment that is being made through the customer experience, the entire attitude of the company and service departments can change. Retention over growth. It costs far more to acquire a new customer than it does to keep a current customer. Who can spread the word if they love your product or service? Thus, it's counterproductive when companies focus on growth rather than aiming for a near-zero attrition rate. Wowing internal and external customers. The old adage, the customer is always right, is one that has lost meaning. While we may not agree that the customer is always right, they are always special. Let me repeat what I said earlier. Without customers, our businesses are nothing. Customers are the very thing that allows a business to survive. When we are talking about customers, we are not only referring to external customers, but internal customers as well. That means all the various departments within an organization that you work with on a daily basis. It is easy to forget that the external success of an organization is positively correlated to its internal successes. How often do you take the time to make someone within your organization feel special? What do you think would happen if you did? When your internal customer is happy and made to feel special, your external customer will feel this as well. When internal customers are supported and made to feel special, conversations flow more smoothly, teams work more cohesively, and communication and trust increases. When your internal customers are acknowledged and celebrated, it is only a matter of time before the external customers feel the same. Having internal customers means that you treat any interaction in the same way that you would treat an external customer. How do your team members interact with each other? Are they of service? How does your company take care of your internal customers, employees? What improvements would positively affect your employees? Here are a few ways that you can drive service into the culture of the organization. One, have leaders embody service by taking on front-level roles from time to time. Two, empower your people to make decisions on their own and accept that they may fail as long as they're learning. Three, don't measure call times or use scripts. More on that in the next section. Four, make it easy for people to contact you. Five, celebrate stories of success. Perhaps most importantly, hire people who value service. If you get people who value service, then you're only training them how rather than fighting their behaviors. The new service model. The past model for service, especially phone-based customer service, has been scripts. It's a command and control model that worked when the results were a lot more predictable. But technology has increased the rate of change so quickly that we need a different framework to address the unexpected itself. When chaos appears, when the choice is unclear, and when there must be a response immediately, here is a new model to guide behavior. The moment is informed by two things, stories and tools. On the left of the model, we have stories. Stories are examples to model. They are essentially micro case studies of what has happened before that give one a moral compass and a reference for future similar scenarios. For example, there are stories of what occurred when a customer called into Zappos in a panic two days before their wedding. It's easy to remember the narrative and then forget about it until the time comes up when a rep has to deal with that same situation. So the question is, what mechanisms do you have for capturing and sharing stories within your organization? 
On the right, we have Tools. This is a team member's arsenal for delivering great service. At Zappos, call reps have over 100 of them. This goes beyond technology and even beyond coupons and discounts. Tools can include techniques like using a customer's name on the call and also getting them to laugh. Here are examples of more tools. Make sure to check other websites when the company does not have what the customer wants. Never rush the phone call. Reassure the customer that you have all the time in the world. Search other sites for additional product information. Provide a warm transfer. There should be no need for the customer to repeat information. Adjust your tone and speed to match the customer's. Find personal points of connection to talk about. Send personalized thank you cards. Walk a customer through the process rather than just sending instructions. Instead of, how may I help you, try, how may I serve you? Make the customer laugh. The power of slogans and acronyms. Make it memorable. You can encapsulate your service philosophy in a phrase or acronym that clearly describes your procedure. Starbucks uses LATTE. It's simple, but each step is critical and reduces anxiety for any employee dealing with an irate customer. L. Listen completely to the customer. A. Acknowledge the problem. T. Take action to resolve the problem. T. Thank the customer for bringing the situation to your attention. E. Encourage the customer to return. Use data collectors. How can we actually verify that we are serving the customers well? The only way to know what people really want and need is to ask them. Simple questions such as, what frustrates you? And, what do you want to change? Are great places to start. In fact, you can simply do that just by sending out a simple survey. You may be surprised by what you hear. The best way to tell if something is working well is by using a very simple tool called the Net Promoter Score, or NPS. It's the feedback method of choice for companies like Apple, Amazon, Zappos, and many others. The idea behind it is that we will tolerate a poor experience for ourselves, but we would not put our name to it when recommending it to others. Therefore, customer satisfaction surveys are not as accurate as a customer promoter survey. Thus, the ultimate question, as articulated in the book, The Ultimate Question by Fred Reicheld. The question is, how likely are you, on a scale from 0 to 10, to recommend this product or service to a friend or colleague? The scoring mechanism is then weighted so that it recognizes that people who think negatively of an experience, detractors, are far more likely to speak out than people who had a positive experience, promoters. The scoring mechanism is described on the next page. Here is the scoring mechanism. The score ranges from 200 points, negative 100%, to positive 100%. A score of 0 through 6 is a detractor. 9 or 10 are promoters, and 7 or 8 are passives. The net promoter score equals the percentage of promoters of the total minus the percentage of detractors of the total. So for example, if you have 10 responses with two promoters, six detractors, and two passives, this calculates to 20% minus 60%. So your net promoter score would be negative 40%. You can use this mechanism for scoring customer promotion, but you can also use it for your internal service testing by asking, 
How likely are you to recommend your team? How likely are you to recommend your manager? How likely are you to recommend this class? How likely are you to recommend working at this company? How to focus on metrics. Most companies place the responsibility of metrics on individuals, but feel that the culture is a group responsibility. In my experience, this does not work. It puts too much pressure for people to control what they can't, company performance, and it lets them assume others are taking care of the culture. Instead, try this. Performance metrics as a group responsibility. We take it on as a team. Culture as individual responsibility. We each are fully responsible. Engage and sustain. Okay, now we can finally start talking about engagement. Do you see why it would be premature to do so before this point? Engagement is fascinating. While it's still a military term in one sense, it also has a certain controversy to it that's ripe for discussion. You'll see why in this section. Sustaining is all about keeping that service engine going, even through the most boring of tasks. An engaged workforce is the golden ticket. Driven employees who are passionate, active, constantly innovating, taking it to the next level, and owning projects as if the business was theirs. So the question is, what drives engagement? At a basic level, the answers include appropriate pay and outstanding benefits. Pay does not have to be high, but it does have to meet a base standard of living. Even more important are benefits like health insurance. When people associate the health and safety of their families with their employer, they stick around. I recommend investing as much as possible so that they pay as little out-of-pocket as possible. It's a big driver for people to stay with your company. Opportunities to excel. Everyone wants to grow and to progress. This does not necessarily mean position changes. It can also mean education and interesting projects. The next section, Dynamic Learning, covers this in detail. Clear feedback. One of the greatest frustrations an employee can have is not knowing where he or she stands. It is completely unsettling, even for your strong performers. Regular feedback is key, especially feedback at the moment when work is being completed. For excellent techniques on this, read The One Minute Manager by Ken Blanchard. Personalized engagement. The truth is, each individual is motivated differently. Here's a framework for a manager to understand what engages different members of the team. Most people are a combination of several. A conversation asking about their favorite moments in work will reveal one or more of the following. Autonomy. The desire to have a say in the direction of their work. To chart their own course. It's the desire to have authority over their domain without being micromanaged. Mastery. The desire to take what they already do well and become completely proficient at it. The expert level is when they can do it with excellence on their own. The mastery level is when they can not only do it, but teach it to others. Purpose. The desire to be part of something bigger. To work on something with meaning. Having a higher level of purpose beyond the day-to-day -day work can drive people to stay focused and work harder. Skill building. The desire to learn new skills beyond one's current role. Accomplishments. The desire to achieve goals. Those who have this desire are not happy with routine work. They need projects that can be done and then move on to the next one. Affiliation. 
The desire for affiliation is to work with people whom one respects, admires, and learns from. These people are motivated by the opportunity to work with others, perhaps across departments, or even collaborating with people in other companies. Coach up or coach out. When things are going askew with a team member, it's an opportunity to coach up or coach out. It all comes from caring about your people and wanting the best for them. If he or she made it through both the attraction and initiation process, odds are that the person is a good fit and it's likely something has changed. The coaching process involves simply taking him or her aside and asking what's going on. Has something changed? Is there something in their personal lives that's affecting their work? Is there something we don't know about that is happening at work? Go into it with curiosity. Once you discuss the reason for the change, look to see if they are honest and accountable. Do they take full responsibility for the change or slip? Do they blame others and or blame circumstances as if it's not their fault? If they take responsibility, look to assess their level of commitment to move forward. If they are not sure about it, have a conversation about whether the company is still the right place for them. Maybe they would be happier elsewhere, and if that's the case, encourage them to think along these lines. If they feel that the company is still the right place for them, then follow this action. 1. Make sure they are in agreement in no uncertain terms about what you need from them to do their job and fit with the culture. 2. Co-create an action that will take to immediately get them going in the right direction. It could be a small project. Their willingness to do this will show how open they are to changing, and their follow-through will show if they are accountable. Make sure you both agree on the due date and that it is a reasonable amount of time. 3. Write this all up via email and send it to them, asking them to confirm their understanding. When there is no paper trail, then it's hard for everyone to recall what was said. 4. Check on them during the process. Ask if they need help, feedback, etc. If they are not open to help, and they also do not fulfill their promise, then this is a clear sign that it's time to let them go. Time to fire. It's time to fire when this process does not work out, or if there was an unforgivable mistake that violated the company's values, an action that would ultimately hurt your culture if you allowed this person to stay. Whatever the reason, this situation can be very emotional. However, you must not waver on your commitment or someone could take advantage of your doubt. Make sure to check with a human resources professional about what you must say and what you must not say. If you don't carry this process out according to law, then the company can find itself in a lawsuit. Once you do it, make sure to talk to your team immediately. To protect the privacy of the person, keep it vague, but relate it back to the core value that was not adhered to or the job duty that was not fulfilled. Let them share their feelings and ask questions about anything that may be on their minds. Reinforce the idea that they never have to wonder if they are doing a good job. Anyone who is not fulfilling the values or their agreed duties should be fully aware of this. It would be unfair to keep them in the dark. Freedom to voice ideas. People want to feel heard, even if their ideas are not used. You'll need a systematic way to take in feedback, ideally through multiple channels. Examples include online services that crowdsource and prioritize ideas, regular meetings with management, a dedicated email address, such as ideas at yourcompany.com, and quarterly surveys. 
Dynamic Learning Beyond the basics, however, the best way to keep people engaged is to ensure they are growing through learning. But not all learning is equal. Here are the techniques to keep learning active, alive, and engaging. Didactic learning. This simply means telling someone what they will learn as a benefit and then explaining it to them. So rather than just giving information, first explain the context and the value of the information and then provide it. Finally, sum it up at the end as key takeaways. Stories and case studies. Stories are a great way to convey information and stimulate conversation, especially when people have fun with them. Experiential learning. Having a live experience, especially using more than one sense, allows one to learn through new feelings and gain new perspectives. For example, this can include games, scavenger hunts, parades, skits, etc. Reflection. New information or experiences can quickly be forgotten. It's important to create time for reflection in the form of silence, thinking, and writing to give people the opportunity to let the lessons sink in and understand how they impact them. Sharing. Whether in a big group, dyads, or triads, sharing insights and experiences gives people the chance to verbalize and articulate what they've learned. It becomes easier to remember and also impacts other people around them. Exercises. Ask questions to get people thinking, such as how to apply a certain lesson to their jobs. This makes the information relevant and gets them to consider actions and practices. Hot seats. Have someone come up and share their story with the facilitator and audience coaching them through their situation. The group first offers questions to help them think about their situation, then offer solutions. Learning by doing. This is trial by fire. Simply doing what one has just learned as information is the fastest, deepest way to know it. It's high risk and high reward. Gain commitment and accountability. There's a lot of energy after a great class, so it's important to leverage it right then and there. This is the time to ask people to publicly share their goals and commitments. It's also time to ask them how they will keep themselves accountable. Unbreakable rituals. If you think about it, most of your life is made up of habits. Go through your day and how much of it is routine. Some are healthy routines, others not so healthy. Rituals are habits on a group level. Companies that proactively design their rituals create strong cultures. Remember to celebrate. When I was there, many types of businesses came through Zappos every year. And the interesting trend I noticed was that no matter how big or small, how successful or how struggling, they all seemed to forget where they came from and how far they'd come. The truth is that if you're in business at all, you're doing something right because people are finding value in your service. Thus, there's always something to celebrate, and this is the big difference between success and fulfillment. Think about growing up as a kid and going to school. From elementary school to junior high to high school, can you imagine what it would have been like if you hadn't had a weekend at the end of every school week? Imagine if the school days just kept on going and you had to wake up early every day and go to class. Can you imagine what a beaten down zombie you would feel like after a while? Weekends were an absolutely necessary and forgiving element. They were a predictable break. We could relax with our friends and family. We had our snack times, favorite sports, TV, and games. 
Remember how they made the whole school week worthwhile? As grown-ups, although our weekends sometimes get frazzled, our lives are still filled with other, similar, unbreakable rituals. These are also necessary and invigorating and predictable events that happen no matter how good or bad things are going, and we come to rely on them. They are like a return home. We actually have the power to do this within organizations, but very few do. The unbreakable rituals can vary from a 15-minute morning power-up meeting to an all-company meeting. To this day, the founders of Google still hold Friday town hall meetings. Another example is a monthly team-building event. Usually, organizations think to do this only when things are going badly and the team needs to come together. But why not keep that from ever happening? A monthly team-building event outside the office does not have to be fancy. In fact, going hiking at a local park is completely free. The idea is unstructured time with team members in a new environment so that we build that team and family spirit. Here are ways, from the simple to the extravagant, that you can build in celebration, ideally as an unbreakable ritual. Morning meeting. This is a simple format that can change your mornings. 1. A gratitude, win, or excitement. Simply have each person on the team say one thing that he or she is grateful for, or mention some kind of win. The idea is that we often achieve something, but no one else sees it. This is a way to share it in a healthy way, such that the whole team can celebrate it. 2. Focus. Have each person share his or her focus for the day. This way, everyone hears what the one big achievement would be for everyone that day. 3. The break. Finally, end with a chant. For example, the ready break of a football huddle. Note, this type of meeting seems to work for teams of 20 or less and can be done in less than 15 minutes. All hands meeting. Take time to stop and come together as a company to celebrate what you've achieved and what you're planning for the future. Google actually does this with their founders once a week. Perhaps the most daring example at Zappos is the all hands meeting. It's a five-hour event held quarterly where they shut down the entire call center and over 1,000 employees gather in a theater. It's filled with announcements, updates, songs, dance numbers, guest speakers, and videos, all ending with a big celebration. It makes no sense for their bottom line. It makes no sense not to take calls from customers, but it's a rich tradition that unifies the company in a way that is simply amazing. Here's the format for an actual all-hands meeting. Pre-show opening number. Sheer entertainment and fun. Financials. Going over the last quarter's financials. Live Q&A with the CEO. Meaning on-the-fly transparency. Kaboom speaker. All about how important play is. Past video bloopers or fun. Skillshare. A presentation on a new way for everyone to teach each other. Sir Ken Robinson, a TED speaker, speaking on creativity. The corporate challenge winner announcement. Sports competition with other companies in Las Vegas. Z-Endurance, a program that pays employees the entrance fee to any sports competition they enter. Fashion show, new products on the website. College interns, a video introducing the new interns. Charity update, about how helping the local and worldwide community is going. Innovation experience, a new program giving randomly drawn employees a bonus to spend on an innovation project. Zappendales, hysterical Zappos boy band video, and the happy hour 
an outdoor picnic of drinks, food, and a band. Schedule the celebrations. So what can you start scheduling immediately? Even if your company is virtual, you can do a standing weekly or even daily phone call to get everyone up to speed and powered up. The point is this. Can you make your own company so important that no matter what, the unbreakable ritual is not canceled? That's how you build lasting strength. That, in combination with supporting constant growth and learning, is how you can keep most of your people for a lifetime. Consider this idea. Schedule your celebrations. Celebrations are usually an afterthought. We did really well this year. We should throw some kind of party or something. But sometimes even that doesn't happen. Instead, schedule them in advance. Assume victory. Because if you are in any kind of business today, that means you are providing amazing value that people are willing to pay for. Here's how you convert a regular happy hour into a celebration. First, don't have it after work. People have families. They want to go home. And they want to recharge for you so that they can be strong the next day. Make it on the early side, ideally 4 p.m., but no later than 5.30. Next, plan it as a celebration. What can you announce? What games can you play? What video could you show? In other words, what will make this memorable? Policy design. The 99% rule. Every organization has policies. In a word, they're rules. They say what's okay and what's not okay. Unfortunately, many organizations fall into the trap of ever-expanding rules built upon rules that begin to look like the country's tax code. When that happens, at best, people tune them out as much as possible. At worst, like the tax code, they actively figure out ways to get around them. Sometimes this is necessary to simply get their job done or take care of a customer. Instead, consider the idea that less is more. The best visual designers know that it's not about what you add to a piece of work, as it is about how much you can take away. Take the iPod. There were many other MP3 players at the time of its development, but the simplicity of the design was what made it so elegant. Not a lot of features and buttons. Unfortunately, most policy design is not really about design at all. It's about ramming in every potential scenario, and even though the intentions are good, the outcome is bad because it's simply ineffective. Let's use the example of a dress code. In corporate America, there are all kinds of different guidelines on what is appropriate and not appropriate to wear. And as fashion changes, this leads to more policy changes and more meetings. I have heard of companies that have spent hours discussing what a flip-flop sandal is and what constitutes an appropriate versus inappropriate flip-flop. Seriously. Meanwhile, this is the dress code policy at Zappos. Don't offend anyone. Yes, it's that simple. How does it work? Well, let's say someone wears something offensive. It is then some other employee's responsibility to be an adult and either inform the offender in a private conversation or let that person's manager know. And then it's resolved in discussion, which is easy when everyone is aligned in their values. Otherwise, it's a longer conversation. So rather than using the entire company's time, we've isolated it to those who have a problem with it. The idea behind it is to plan for and support the 99% who are good rather than defend against the 1% who break a policy. A similar, flexible approach applies to policies towards customers. Most companies are very stringent in enforcing their policies, but if they took a look at the data, 
it is usually less than 5% of their customers who actually abuse a policy. And yet the amount of time and energy focused on that 5% is much more than 5% of the company's time. What makes it even worse is that the data shows the customers who have a negative experience are five times more likely to proactively speak badly about a company than those who have a great experience. In other words, your policy breakers are a huge liability. If they don't like how they were treated, it doesn't even matter if they were wrong. They are going out of their way to try to make sure you do not succeed. Yes, you are right that they have broken your policy, but the percentage is trivial. Would you rather stay right and be upset with them, only to have them go speak badly about your brand? Or would you rather give up being right and stay happy while making your customers happy? One way to resolve this is through a one-time exception rule. Allow them the transgression, but let them know that it is a break in a policy to which they agreed, and that it will only be this one time. If the customer repeatedly takes advantage of this, then inform them that you do not seem to be meeting their needs and invite them to shop elsewhere. If you still are resistant to this idea that less is more, consider the idea of parenting. It's one thing if you have a couple of kids, but imagine having 15 of them. How would you do it? Don't have too many rules. That is what parents with a lot of kids say. One even said, we only have two rules. You must be safe and you must be polite. Every possible transgression fit into one of those categories. When you have few rules, then you empower people to make decisions for themselves rather than micromanaging. Empowerment. Micromanaging was actually a good strategy for an industrial-based economy in mass production. Business is completely different today. There are so many decisions to make on a moment-to-moment basis that you simply cannot define or predict the best actions. Instead, if we can use the right guidelines and parameters, people will know what to do. And if they are truly empowered, they will not be scared to make mistakes. Most importantly, to keep your employees with your company for the long term, remember that people want to feel like people. They don't want to feel like cogs in a machine. At Zappos, employees are empowered to make decisions that are right for the business to serve customers. Since the core values serve as a framework for making decisions, Zappos trusts that employees will use their best judgment to do the right thing. During the Zappos.com Las Vegas Rock and Roll Marathon back in December 2011, A family was on their way to see The Lion King at the Mandalay Bay Hotel. The father was taking his daughter to the show for her 10th birthday. This day was quite hectic since the city closed Las Vegas Boulevard down for the race, and car traffic was in gridlock for over two hours. Due to all the chaos with the marathon, the family missed the show. The father was upset, and he emailed Tony to express his disappointment. He reached out to CEO Tony Shea because Zappos sponsored the marathon. The father said that he didn't want Lion King tickets since his daughter had no desire to see the show anymore. What he asked for instead was the experience to have his daughter see firsthand how Zappos would handle the situation. One of Tony's assistants, Valerie, read and responded to the email. She was on a mission to make up for what had happened and did her best to make the family happy. Valerie worked quickly and thought of a few ideas to resolve the problem. She took charge of the situation without any management approval to fix the problem. The first thing she did was to invite the family to tour the office. In preparation for their visit, Valerie got balloons for the little girl and ordered a birthday cake. When the family arrived for their tour, Valerie gave the birthday girl the balloons, and then they started to tour the office. Midway through the tour, they stopped at a desk that had a birthday cake, and the girl noticed her name on it. All of a sudden, the Zaponians 
that were working in the area started singing happy birthday. This was such an emotional experience created for this family. The girl was elated and her father was overwhelmed. A week later, the family sent flowers to Zappos. Valerie and other Zaponians who worked that day were able to turn a big disappointment around. There are always going to be challenges that require quick thinking to figure out solutions. Many times employees can't get management approval on every single issue that arises. The solution is to empower your employees to solve problems. If you've hired the right people who are aligned with your company's core values, the values serve as a decision-making framework. When you can instill trust in your employees that they'll do the right thing, it makes your business scalable. Epic Engagement Any company can do what we've covered thus far. So what happens when another company comes along with all of these approaches plus a bigger brand name, higher pay, or a better city? Do you just chalk that up to the nature of the game? Or are you interested in the real differentiator, the key to driving long-term engagement that is so strong that people would accept below average pay or even stay in a city they don't like? The key to long-term epic engagement is drama. What? Drama? Yes, you heard me right. It's drama. Let's look at reality TV. There was a show about life coaching. The premise was that the coach would help people in impossible situations. It involved all these common words surrounding engagement, passion, caring, intensity, listening to people, clear feedback, freedom, major decisions to be made, and yet the show was canceled. Then you take a show like Jersey Shore. This involves none of what we associate with an engaged environment. In fact, they're usually terrible at their jobs to boot. And yet people are enthralled by it. They are completely engaged with the content. Why is there such a big difference? It's because in the first show, we all know what's going to happen. The person on the show will be in a horrible situation. They'll think there's no way out. And then they will get themselves out of their situation in a heartfelt ending. There's no sense that the people on the show may fail and fall flat on their faces. So we check out. We don't care. In other words, what I mean by drama is, drama equals the sense that anything can happen. It could be awful or it could be amazing. Real engagement lies in a state of constant creative tension. That creative tension can often be seen like this. On one side, safety. On the other side, freedom. Let's use the example of a call center to show the difference between engaged and non-engaged. Standard call center. Safety equals just read our call script and you'll be fine. Freedom equals act on your own, but we will give you no guidance and if you screw up, you're gone. An engaged call center. Safety equals weeks of training, mentorship, coaching, and a precedent of rewarding learning even through failure. Freedom equals no scripts, but you are given plenty of values embedded stories from those who went before you, as well as an arsenal of tools. Here are some principles and ways to use drama to your advantage. Build anticipation. To really develop a true and healthy sense of drama, there has to be a cliffhanger, that chance that may turn into an epic win or a drastic failure, and with a probable opportunity to say, I was there when it happened. The sense of anticipation comes from elusive yet attainable goals. On a group level, the goal needs to be so inspiring it requires no explanation. You simply love it or you don't. 
For Zappos at the time of this writing, that's creating a thriving downtown in Las Vegas. It's creating a college campus for adults. Personal glory is achievable. A culture of real engagement has everyday people who are living their dreams. They are living proof that you can come in as lowly as a janitor and rise through excellence to a career or calling of your choice. True, it won't happen for everyone. It takes hard work and perseverance. But an engaged culture shows that it is by no means impossible. A new kind of sexy. What makes something sexy? Have you noticed it's never sex? Pornography isn't sexy, but intrigue and innuendo are. Nakedness isn't sexy, but lingerie is. That's because sexy is about eluding. It's about what's hidden. It's about the taboo. It's about secrets and desires. And the truth is, they exist in an organizational setting. They exist in the form of people who want to laugh, who don't want to work all the time, who want to try crazy ideas, who are scared, and who want to connect deeply while knowing that they have to maintain decorum. The real engaged cultures ride the line here. They dance on the edge of inappropriate. They challenge the status quo without breaking the system. By pushing the line, they expose new truths where learning can occur. And so it is different and yet still safe. Family and drama go hand in hand. The strongest cultures feel like family because people are there, rain or shine fully dedicated, and sticking through it even when they're unhappy. And any strong family has a decent sense of drama, that tension that only becomes clear when we acknowledge the shadow, when we get real. The first big reality show was called The Real World, with the tagline, when people stop being polite and start getting real. Conduct, manuals, call scripts, they all create a sense of false confidence that people can be controlled. But underlying it all is a much different conversation, one that most employers are afraid of. What they don't know is that this conversation contains the breakthroughs that could help them dominate an entire industry. But more importantly, those conversations contain the very essence of what makes their employees feel alive. Share and observe. This is the last and most underrated stage of the engine. Observation is a combination of analysis and reflection. In other words, getting data points we can use to make sure we are on target and then reflecting on them to understand the lessons and plan for the future. Sharing is critical and not understood well at most companies. On a culture level, whatever you share will grow. You'll see how it's an automatic habit that will reinforce integrity, build appreciation, and subtly develop a culture of giving without the need to receive quid pro quo. Sharing is the counterintuitive secret that will give you the edge for decades. Common sense would say you should focus on your business, but success has shown us that companies that go beyond their employees and their paying customers actually last longer and have higher revenues than those who do not. There are many ways you can share beyond paid products and services that will keep you relevant, keep attracting talent, and most importantly, remind you of all the reasons you ever loved your business in the first place. Share to keep. Once you've got it, you've got to give it. Well, of course, you don't have to do anything of the kind. But from what we've seen, the companies that share their beliefs, their stories, and their lessons develop so much goodwill from customers that it constantly reminds the business owners why they started the business in the first place. The idea is this. 
What you share, you get to keep. What you hoard disappears. Yes, it may sound oddly spiritual in nature, but this is the secret formula for successful businesses and will continue to be in the future. They share their story, how they did it, and they continue to share what's going on inside, what's real, and what problems they're working on. A great example is Be Real, an interactive advertising agency that has created worldwide viral hits for its clients. Their ad campaigns have been so good that consumers have made thank you videos for their advertisements. Be Real actually posts videos of their experiments on its website. Many would say they are giving away their secrets, but instead it establishes the company as a powerhouse of innovation and provides an opportunity for brands to recognize their new technologies and ask Be Real if they can be used for their brand. Another great example is the manifesto shared by Balsamic with a Q, dot com. They share themselves, their lives, and their methodology so freely that it's a joy to read, even if you don't use their product. What is it that your company stands for? How can you be a beacon for what you believe? And then how can you share it? There are so many ways, blogs, tours, or creating your own culture book to share with the world. See an example of the Zappos culture book at www.culturebook.org. I would love to hear your examples of sharing your culture. Email me at robert at cultureblueprint.com.